Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. And uh, so we're just going to go to the Lord here. The Word of God, Second Samuel chapter number, Second Samuel chapter number six, starting with verse three, a familiar, familiar verse here of Scripture for us tonight. The Bible says, "And when," verse three, "and they set the ark of God upon a new cart, brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah, and of." Ab- that was in Gibeah and Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab drave the new cart. They brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even harps, on salt trees, on timbrels, on cornets, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen shook it. I'm going to read Isaiah 46, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read it out of the King James Version, and then I'd like to read it out in the Living Bible. The Bible says in Isaiah 46, verses 1 and 2, Bell boweth down. Nebo stoopeth their idol. Nebo stoopeth. Let me get my uh, punctuation here correct. Their idols were upon the beast and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy loaded. They are a burden to the weary beast. They stoop. They bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but themselves are gone into captivity. The living translation states it like this. The idols of Babylon, Bel, and Nebo are being hauled away on ox carts. But look, the beasts are stumbling. The cart is turning over. The gods are falling out onto the ground. Is that the best that they can do? If they cannot even save themselves from such a fall, how can they save their worshipers from Cyrus? tonight with uh, certain things even that just Bishop said and I've been kind of batting around in my head really what to call this but I'd basically just like to call this tonight the presentation of a king yes presentation, presentation whichever pronunciation you prefer the presentation, the presentation of a king Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, I love you. I'm praying, oh Lord, that you're able to help us in the next little while, Lord Jesus, that you're able to speak, Lord Jesus, through us, God, by your word. I pray, oh God, tonight, God, that let the anointing of your presence filter into this place. God, I pray, oh Lord Jesus, God, help me, Lord, to make it plain and understood. God, equip us tonight, God, with what, Lord Jesus, we need equipped with, Lord, in order to be soldiers in this army of the Lord. Ambassadors, I pray, oh God, for the presence and the power of the Almighty God. Lord, and we'll love you and we'll thank you in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. 
Amen. You may be seated tonight in the lovely name of the Lord. There is, there is by and large something that is, has escaped my generation and perhaps even generations to come, and it's perhaps no fault of their own, but fault of, of, of training, fault due to the lack of, of, of tutoring them. That is, there was, there was an hour and there was a day that whenever someone of renown or reputation came into the presence of what we would consider the common man, that there was a certain level of reverence. There was a certain level of respect that one gave to them. Even yet, still today, you can, you can go to people that are esteemed in the eyes of the general public that may be gathered in arena of even it being a Christian artist that's taken a stage and there is a certain level of response that comes from the crowd because this person with their notoriety of making it big so to speak even in the Christian music world has donned the stage and are there to sing and pray and people will oftentimes clap, hoop and holler because they realize they are in the presence of someone of a certain degree of reverence that should be paid to them. Uh, even today, whenever as people are going through and there are delegates that are going through and uh, the political system is in full row right now as we're headed to an election uh, here in November and as people have come by and has been and held certain rallies in certain states because of the individual's office, because of the position in which they serve, people are trying, I, I should say, <laughs> trying to be or should at least should be courteous not necessarily because of the stand they are taking on this or that, but because of an office, because of an office that they are dwelling in or that they are taking in on their own. So there's, there's, certain, there's certain etiquette, there's certain good manners whenever you're around delegates, delegates whenever you're around the President of the United States, uh, for that matter, and you say, well, I don't care for the President of the United States. So that, that's a moot issue concerning the person. I'm talking about the office of the man that whenever you're around somebody of that 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 type of office and that type of honor that is associated with the office and there are certain manners and there are certain customs and there's etiquette by which one should abide by because you are in the presence of somebody of renown you're in the presence of someone of, of grand authority for that matter in, in just here just within our society whenever uh, uh, our mayor is around I, I, I don't just kind of give him that a boy slap on the back type of mentality he is a very friendly and kind guy and shows himself very friendly with somebody but I don't need to get so familiar with his friendliness that I take advantage of his authority Take advantage of his position because he is a man that serves in an office here within our community that should be revered and respected and honored according to the office that he has. But folks, things go to another degree and level whenever you talk about the presence of royalty. When you talk about the presence of kings and queens and duchesses and dukes and barons and people of royalty, there is a certain presentation for the kingliness of these type 
a people. Now, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to preach from an article here just a little bit tonight. Because I, I sat over there while I was praying tonight, and God brought to my mind concerning what is done in, or should be done in society as we know it to have the presentation or the reverence of the royalty of the presence of a king. I looked up the proper etiquette that a person should have concerning the royalty of a king. They say that a king has a presence that is 10 foot around him, meaning that the king is within a 20 foot circle. Within 10 feet of the king is denoted as the king's presence. And you gotta be very conscious about when you are in or outside of the presence. In or outside of the presence of the king. For that matter, it tells me that no person is allowed to enter his presence without giving some type of movement or rendering a courtesy to the crown. In other words, you don't just walk into the presence of a king without giving some type of motion that you're entering in. Someone say amen. Did not David say we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise because as we are approaching the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords, we need not give him any less than a natural king. Give some type of indication, God, I'm on the verge of moving into your... And I think it behooves us to be conscious of when we're entering it and when we're leaving it. Someone say amen. <laughs> Is this all right? I'll get to preaching in the scripture and we'll tie it all together here a bit. And I, I got to move. I got to move. Here I am. I'm dragging my feet. I used to preach faster when I was younger. I don't know what's going on. But if you wish, it says, if you wish to speak to the king, and if you wish to speak to him and he is not busy, it says just wait outside of his presence. Just wait outside of the peripheral of that circle of his presence until you're bidden to approach him. But it says you might want to make yourself a little bit more obvious. He says if you're waiting there to be beckoned to his presence, don't just stand there. But you might want to make yourself a little bit more obvious. You might want to bow or give a little curtsy to let him know that you're there. It says, this is not my words. The article says, staring is not good. If you're wishing to get into the presence of the king, it says staring is not good. Sitting there doing nothing, it's not good. Standing there doing nothing, it's not good. Staring a hole through him, it's not good. Make some type of motion. Let him know you want his audience. And it says if it's necessary, Along with your motion, you might need to say something. I didn't write this, and King James didn't write it either. This is just... Staring's not good if you got to. If you're wanting to get into his presence, if you got to, open your mouth. Say something in order to enter the presence of royalty. Now listen to me. Not only is there etiquette in entering his presence, but there's etiquette in a presentation 
in how you exit his presence. A natural king, it says if the king is already in conversation with another person before you leave, it says simply just make a motion, bow or curtsy and back off just a few steps. But if you are leaving, listen to me, if you're leaving the presence of the king and you're the only one left in his presence, then you gotta say something and ask permission if you can leave his presence first. Now we've given the decree sometimes around here at the end of the service when his presence, we've all been invaded in his presence and we've stood up and said, if you feel like you need to leave, go on and go. And I'm not trying to be dogmatic on this, but if you're the last one here, you better ask God, God, is it okay for me to back out right now? Is it okay for me to go from what I'm doing and go grab my hamburger and my pizza? Is it all right for me to cut out early and go get me something to eat so I can get to bed? a good time if you're in his presence you need to properly exit his presence and get the permission of the king whether or not you know is he finished with me yet I know I've done what I wanted to do but is he finished with me I wonder how many times we've exited his presence because we were done but the king wasn't done with us yet We're just preaching from a secular article here. This is not typical of me. Not typical of me. I'm very biblical bound normally. And this, we can, we can smash this together. So that's how you enter. That's how you leave the king's presence. But the article says that thrones also have a presence. Not only does the king have the presence, but the throne that the king normally occupies has a presence. They say about 10 feet or so in front of the throne is the presence, even if the throne is empty. So that if a person was passing by the throne of the king and was 10 feet within its reach, they should bow or curtsy to an empty throne because his presence normally always resides right there. Someone say amen. And the article says this. Not my words. If you feel a little funny about curtsying or bowing to an empty throne, then it's best that you stay away from it. They said, if you feel like a fool, bowing and curtsying and making some type of motion to something that you can't see right now, then you just stay away from the throne. My Bible says, what does it say? Heaven is his and the earth is his. The earth is his footstool. Many times the throne and the stool are as one unit. Amen. And so 10 feet from even the footstool, where are you sitting tonight? Where are you sitting tonight? Where are you sitting tonight? You're sitting on his footstool. Tonic 10 feet up from the ground. It still encompasses you. And so we need a curtsy bow, make some type of movement because we are sitting, standing, lying down, whatever we are, in the presence of the king. Someone say yes. 
this is kind of the, the side note good information for us all and it said don't sit on the throne or a throne if it's not yours to sit on don't sit on the throne unless you outrank the person who sits on the throne man that's great advice that's great advice don't sit on the throne unless you outrank the one who sits on the throne is everybody doing okay and I'll get, we'll, we'll get here to Samuel here in a moment I'm just talking about the presentation of King right here he says if you're traveling here you go brother Mason if you're traveling and the king is coming your way you're traveling and the king is coming your way you should clear the path stop and bow and kneel or at least lower your head giving recognition to the oncoming presence of the king someone say amen and it says if you're traveling and you're with a group and nobody notices that the king is approaching and you do then it's good if you open up your mouth and tell everybody else here comes the king your majesty I don't know how many times, sometimes I've tried to be a herald behind a pulpit, even in church services sometimes, and I felt like that I was the only one that knew he was approaching. And you know what? That's the reason why we stop and say sometimes, everybody raise their hands. Everybody clap their hands. Everybody do this or that. What are you doing, preacher? You're just trying to get all excited on the emotion and euphoria of it. Oh, no, 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 no. I've just witnessed that the presence of the king is approaching, and we need to make ready. We need to stop. We need to make motion. We need to give reverence to the king of glory the Lord of all why because it's the king and the king deserves a certain presentation yeah it says if you're sitting when the king comes you stand up I mean I couldn't even make this up any better if I try he said if you're sitting when the king approaches you stand up Matter of fact, he said, you stand up and you bow. God help me. I've seen people's presentation of the king. I've seen them witness other people's presentation of the king. There's been times the presence of God has been so thick. I've scratched my head. It's worried me. It's almost put ulcers in my stomach to try to figure out how some people could not even respond or have recognition of the power and the glory of his presence. It made it bewildered me to think how could they sit? How could they nod off? How could they not pay attention? How could they not touch that? How could they not get plugged in with that? Listen, in order to know the presence of the king, you gotta go around and be one that goes after his presence sometime. You're not gonna pay any homage to the president of the United States if you don't know who he is is if you don't know what he looks like if you don't know the sound of his voice because sometimes before you ever see him you'll hear him but if you know his voice you'll give the honor due to his name and 
I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. The last things that the article addressed was this. The address that a person should adjust to. This is the heading that they should adjust to over familiarity with the presence of the king. People that constantly serve in the court, that are constantly in or around or nigh or close to his presence. People that may in a setting that is not with all of the regal, the, the regal setting, amen, maybe in the backgrounds where he says you can call me king if you want. To not become over familiar with that and just kind of, if you will, be an embarrassment in those moments when the king's presence, amen, demands presentation. Amen, not to become overly familiar with all those things. Now, folks, with all of that in mind, then, there is certain manners. There are certain customs. There is proper etiquette. As there are just natural kings and presidents and dignitaries, there is the king of kings and the lord of lords. What we read of on, and I'll hurry tonight, what we read of in 2 Samuel chapter number 6 is David going to the house of Abinadab. He is bringing back the ark of the covenant that many times they revered as the very presence of the Lord. They revered it like that, folks, because God spoke to Moses in the book of Exodus. He says, up upon the mercy seat between the two cherubim, I will come down in a cloud between those two cherubim, and I will communicate with you, and I will speak with you. And so they revered the Ark of the Covenant as the very presence of God, because up above on that mercy seat is where God said, I'll talk to you. I'll speak to you. I'll give you guidance. I'll give you direction. I'll give you instruction. And as David went to get the ark of God. The Bible says that those two sons of Abinadab, Uzzah and Ohio, they put this thing, everybody say, on a new cart. On a new cart. And they drove it. And as they drove it, it came to a place of a threshing floor. And the Bible says that Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark of God for the oxen shook it. And the story goes that Uzzah lost his life because of his deed. Now we've preached from this verse enough times that people are familiar with it. We say, well, the reason why all of this happened is because the Ark of the Covenant should have been carried upon the shoulders of the priest. That's the way it went into the house of Abinadab and that's the way it should have came out of the house of Abinadab. It should have been carried on the shoulders of priests. We know the old Levitical law tells us that no man could necessarily touch the ark of God. Amen. Even the high priest had to go in with the proper coverings to overlay the ark and then they were only able to carry it by the staves that went through each side of the ark and those staves touched the ark. They didn't touch the ark itself and so they would carry it like that and we say all of this happened because Uzzah put forth his hand to steady the ark while it was shaking on that new cart that's not the way it was supposed to be handled it was supposed to be on shoulders and he was struck dead with that in mind I want you to go back to Isaiah Isaiah 46 the setting of the scripture and I'll try to close quick but the setting of the scripture is this the Bible tells us Isaiah is speaking of a day prophetically to the children of Israel he says there's coming a day there's coming a day you're going to find yourself in Babylonian captivity. You're going to be surrounded with a multiplicity of heathenistic gods. 
that people bow to, stoop to, adore, and uplift through praises of their own lips. He says, but I've already ordered it. You can look at chapter 45. He said, I have already ordered it. I am putting in place a man by the name of Cyrus. This is hundreds of years before Cyrus ever came into the picture. He said, but I am ordering a man by the name of Cyrus. I already got his name. I already know who he is. He's going to come in the moment of time that you're in Babylonian captivity. He's going to enter there. He's going to overcome your adversary. We're going to rejoice because of that. And whenever they go in there, they're going to spoil Babylon and they're going to take away the gods of Babylon. And so that's the reason why the scripture says in chapter 46 that Baal, who was one of their gods, and Nebo, who was one of their main gods, and the Bible says their idols, all those others that were less significant. The Bible says that Baal boweth down and Nebo stoopeth and all these idols, and they were upon the beast. Here's what's going on. Cyrus has went in to claim Babylon, Cyrus will be the man that will later say, I'm going to allow the Israelites, the Jews, to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple and make offerings and sacrifices to their God. But while I'm here at Babylon, I'm going to take their idols. And look what he does. He places them upon beasts. Amen. The living Bible says that they put them upon ox carts. They put them upon these ox carts and upon these beasts and they laden these beasts down with the burden of these gods that all these people used to worship. For that matter, the Bible says that the beasts became weary with the burden of the gods upon their shoulders. There's so much silver, so much gold, so much wood that these idols are made of that are upon the beasts that the beasts are actually becoming burdened with something that should be a god. He said all these things are upon them. They're burdened down. Verse 2 says they stoop. They bound down together. They could not deliver the burden. In other words, these spirits that's supposed to inhabit these images, they couldn't do nothing about the situation either. They couldn't deliver these gods. Nobody could deliver these gods. And they're all being carried out upon burden, a beast of burden. Amen. And they're burdened by these gods. And in the Living Bible, it speaks of how they even shook and they shuddered, being weary under the load of these gods. Someone say amen. amen. So, these are false gods being carried out because they've been overcome. The manner in which false gods are carried out as defeated gods are on beasts of burden. Are you hearing me? What God had a problem with in 2 Samuel 6 was this. Not even so much that he wasn't placed upon the shoulders of the Levites. Are you hearing me? But their presentation of who he was was incorrect. Because as you're doing your dancing and you're shouting, you got the ark on a cart. You got an ark that's being carried by beast of burden. And to the eyes of anybody that knows custom of that day, that's the way you take out defeated God. 
Somebody not hear me right here. David, the reason, the real problem I have with this scenario, and Uzzah putting forth his hand as though he has to help me. You got me on the cart, and you're dancing and shouting, celebrating, but people just might think that you're carrying out a defeated God, and that's not the way the presentation of this king needs to be represented. We got to watch our presentation of the king. We got to watch our presentation of the king. Because if not, we'll start belly aching about how we got to go to Wednesday night church. And we got to go Sunday night. And I was already there Sunday morning. You know what you're doing? You're giving a misrepresentation, a wrong presentation of the king. They tell us we got to be there early to pray. Honey, that's not the type of attitude to have for the presentation of your king. That pastor every once in a while preaches about 10%. Amen. That belongs to God. I tell you what, I'd just rather give five or give none. Honey, that's the wrong presentation of the king. Don't you? You misrepresent the king of glory. By our connection and the way that we act or don't react to his presence, amen, may set up a misrepresentation of the presentation of the king. You're coming in here and people don't know if you got a glorious God or if you're going around a defeated God. They don't know if your hands are up or whether they're down. They don't know if you have a reason to be proud or if you are in some way embarrassed. Someone say yes. yes. Uh, you're dancing, that's great. But your presentation is an indication that you're rejoicing over something that's dead. You're rejoicing over something that's defeated. No, 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 no. You got it wrong, boys. Man's life was lost as a result of all this. They went back and they did it right. They didn't have him up on a cart. They didn't have him with an auction there. They didn't have any of those scenarios because they wanted whoever was on the outskirts, any observers to know that we are not parading in a defeated God. We're, we're parading in a reigning God. We're, 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 oh yeah, this processional is about the living God, not a defeated God, and for sure not a false God. We're talking about the one true Here was the Lord's response. I know perhaps I've touched on these perhaps somewhere in the past, maybe just very briefly, but the Bible says into this. Oh, I love the scripture in verse number three of Isaiah chapter 46. He's spoken to them. He says, these people, amen, they're coming, taking these false, defeated gods out, and they're laying them on auction. They're laying them on ox carts, and they're carrying them away as defeated foe. But the Lord spoke to the house of Jacob, to the house of Israel, all the remnant, amen, of them. And he said, which are born by me, from the belly which were carried from the womb even to your old age I am he even to the whoreheads or gray hairs will I carry you I have made and I will bear and even I will carry and deliver you you know what God was saying there is a vast difference between their God and your God their God they gotta carry their God they gotta support their God they gotta prop up but me being your God I prop you up I carry you So don't misrepresent my kingship because I'm not a God that has to carry. I'm a God that does the carrying. That's right. 
I don't carry God. Listen, in my worship and my praise and my preaching, God being carried into this place was all dependent upon that. Forget it. If him being carried was dependent upon how good the music was or how well everybody sung or based upon how many people were here, forget it. This is not this this church right here. Although we have our own Facebook page, this is not a Facebook page at church. And the success of it doesn't rise and fall with people's likes or dislikes. And this is not a Twitter account where you can follow me and unfollow me. And this is not Instagram where you can put a little heart here. All of that does nothing for his presence. Nothing for his glory. We're not carrying God. God's been carrying us all along from birth to death and all in between. Someone say amen. amen. Gotta run, gotta run, gotta run, gotta run. You know how many times he emphasized that? From the belly, I carried you. From the womb, I carried you. To your old age, I carried you. When your hairs are gray, I carried you. I'll bear you, I'll carry you, I'll deliver you. I don't see a sneaking suspicion where they had anything to do with any of that. It was all God. And then we want to have a processional that's indicating him as some heathen defeated being. See, it's difficult when you get the word of your testimony of your God in one measure and your presentation contradicts your testimony. Can I do it? Is this all right? I'll say it. We've preached this a thousand times, so a thousand one don't hurt anything. It's wrong when our testimony says one thing, and then we invite them to church, and our presentation says something different. Huh? Because someone's going to scratch their head and say, I wonder if the same person they are talking about is the same person that they come to this church for. Don't go start testifying about a living king and have a procession of, of a dead one. Oh, God. Somebody needs to make a little movement. Make a little bow. Make a little curtsy. What are you saying? God, I'm here on the peripheral of your presence and I'd like to have audience. Hallelujah. Don't leave prematurely. It'd be great if I was preaching this at a camp meeting or conference right now. You know, really it would. Don't leave prematurely. Man, I remember, you know, God help me. I said this years ago. Matter of fact, I said this at a conference before I preached one time. When we were young kids, we were having a camp meeting at Santa Claus, Indiana. And there was a pastor, uh, Spencer McCool, was preaching. And he was very adamant at the end of his service. God was going to do something. He felt that in the spirit. God had impressed him. God is going to do something. I don't want anybody leaving. That's what he told everybody. Don't want anybody leaving. If you never Spencer McCool, without his fingers, he could whistle. He could whistle like that without his fingers. I can't do it without mine. 
But as, as camp there would always take place, uh, each, each day certain churches was responsible for the cafeteria and concessions and so, so forth. That night was our responsibility, and this little snotty McGee boy and Jeremy Penrod were on the crew for, con- for concessions that night. Man, I'm shaking in my dress shoes. What are you to do? The man of God is saying, don't leave. I know the responsibility I got. You know, so we're kind of slounging around, you know, over to the edge. It was an open-air campus, slounging around, open to the edge. And we started to go, you guys right there, sit down. God's about ready to do something. Well, my God, someone's going to come later wanting their cheeseburger and their fries. They're not going to be there. But you know what the man of God was saying? God's presence is here. God is going to do something. And if you leave prematurely, now I wish I, I had the gumption or maybe the reverence of that man of God to be able to whistle every once in a while and say, don't check out quite yet because God is on the verge of maybe your miracle. God is on the verge of maybe your lost loved one coming out. Don't depart. We treat church like a funeral parlor sometimes where somebody's died is. We come in and shake a few hands. We give our words of condolences. We look where it lays and then we exit say we've done our deed. This is not the house of a dead God. This is a house of a living God. You need to stay around. Don't leave before the fourth day because Lazarus is coming out of the grave. My God! Let's magnify him. Brother Mason, come. 
I don't need to go any further. Brother Mason, come. I don't need to go any further right now. We need to just go into that presence right now. This altar is open. Will somebody come within that 10-foot di- that ten foot radius right now? Will you curtsy? Will you bow? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.